This talk was given by Patrick Yunin Kelly at the Zen Center of New York City. Yunin is a senior lay student in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation or find out more about the temple's retreats and residency programs, visit our website at zmm.org slash zcnyc. Thanks for listening. So this is from the Gospel of Matthew. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man calls for Elijah. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let it be. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up the spirit. So, good morning. Uh, my name is Yunin. I'm a uh, lay practitioner here. And I realize this is a Buddhist temple. <laughs> I, 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 this was unanticipated that this took this direction. Um, but I decided to go with it. I was going to, to point out that, you know, I'm not actually Christian. I, was, I never was. I was not raised that way. Um, but it looks like I will be for the duration of this talk. <laughs> so I wanted to talk in particular about faith uh, in, in the Zen tradition. Uh, traditionally, faith is regarded as one of the three pillars of Zen. Those are great faith, great doubt, and great determination. It's said that these are like three legs of a tripod. All three are needed uh, to, for realization to happen. Without any one of them, the tripod is unstable. But what is faith in the context of a uh, non-theistic tradition, like Zen? In one of the monotheistic traditions, it usually means faith in, in the existence of a supreme being. But uh, Zen and the teachings of Shakyamuni Buddha, the Buddha never took a position on the, the existence or not of God. When, when the Buddha was asked what he taught, he said, I teach suffering and the cessation of suffering. This is all that he was interested in. And uh, here, this, this practice, it's open to anyone who sincerely wants to, to understand and to address suffering at its fundamental root, regardless of religious background and belief or, or lack of any religious belief. Uh, the Buddha was a human being, uh, like you and me, not a god or godling. But I, you know, I find that I'm interested in, in more and more as I practice uh, some of the monotheistic traditions, partly because it's just uh, part of the, the, the water that we swim in in this time and place. For most people, 
those are the traditions that they're familiar with. Uh, I, I worked a bit as a in a hospice as a chaplain, and you know I never came across a Buddhist. Uh, you know, Christians, Jews, Muslims, atheists, agnostics. So for that reason, I think um, I'm interested in it, and I, I I do regard Jesus as a as a great spiritual teacher. But to return to that question, what is faith in the context of a non-theistic tradition? We sometimes say it's faith in your capacity to realize yourself, to see, realize personally in your life what Shakyamuni Buddha and all of the men and women who practiced after him realized in their lives. And in a sense, we say, but even though that's true, the Buddha is not going to save you. God is not going to save you. The teacher is not going to save you. No one is going to save you. Now, the reason for that is that you don't need to be saved in the first place. There's never been anything wrong with you or anyone from the beginning. In his uh, fascicle, Ika Myoju, One Bright Pearl, Dogen says this, Some years after attaining the way, Xuansha instructed his students, saying, The whole universe in the ten directions is one bright pearl. One day a monk asked him, I've heard that the master teaches the whole universe in the ten directions is one bright pearl. How should I understand this? Xuansha said, The whole universe in the ten directions is one bright pearl. What is the use of understanding? The next day, Xuansha again said to the monk, The whole universe in the ten directions is one bright pearl. How do you understand this? The monk said, The whole universe in the ten directions is one bright pearl. What is the use of understanding? Xuansha said, I see that you have found a way through the demon cave on the Black Mountain. I started uh, formal Zen practice when I was living in Germany in the, the early to mid-1990s at a, at a small Soto temple outside of Cologne. And I, I did that for a while, and then I came back to the U.S. And uh, for, for a while after that, for a long time, I was really struggling uh, emotionally and spiritually. I felt quite lost. And it at one point during this time, I wrote the, uh, the the teacher at that temple who I hadn't seen for a while. His name was Taiku. Uh, just asking for direction. And I got back a letter. This was before email, really. And, and it was a, a picture, a, a snapshot, before digital cameras, too. It was a, it was a picture of a, a Japanese a sumie painting of, of a dragon with a, a pearl in her claw. On the back, he had written, the whole universe in the ten directions is one bright pearl. The dragon of reality holds it in her claw as a gift for each one of us. 
it didn't make a lot of sense to me intellectually, but on, on some level I, I knew that it was true, that, that it had always been true. But, but as, I, as I said, so this, the whole universe is one bright pearl. It's often not our experience of the world, our perception of the world. I mean, just look around, you know, read the news. It seems kind of uh, audacious or maybe dangerously naive or, or even sort of indifferently cruel to say everything is perfect and complete. And, and to the, to, I think to the extent that we use this sort of thing to, to suppress our doubt, it is destructive, this sort of unified view. So that's why when we speak of great faith, you can't really speak of it without speaking of great doubt. The two are inextricably bound up. And without doubt, faith becomes dogmatism, absolutism. So we work with, uh, in this tradition, we work with doubt directly. So one of the ways we do it is with, uh, with koan study. Koans are, people may be familiar with them, they're these statements, uh, seemingly may not make a lot of sense, uh, but they're skillful means used to facilitate realization. The first koan that people get is usually Joshu's mu. A monk asked Joshu, Master Joshu, does a dog have the Buddha nature? Joshu said mu, which means in classical Chinese, no, or does not have. Of course, the fundamental teaching of the Mahayana is that all beings, sentient and insentient, without exception, have the Buddha nature. And what, what, what's the point here? Dino used to tell a story. He said, imagine a, uh, a monk, a devout monk in the Middle Ages, Catholic Middle Ages, who spends his whole life practicing devoutly, but has a nagging doubt about the existence of God. And it grows and grows. And one day he decides to travel to Rome to have an audience with the Pope to ask about this doubt. And he makes it there, a great expense and great effort, and has the audience with the Pope and asks, does God exist? And the Pope says, no. And that's the end of it. <laughs> that's sort of what's happening here. I was thinking about my own experience with Mu. I, I, I worked on it for about eight years. And I was, I was living at the monastery for a lot of that time, you know, doing 12 sessions a year. And as far as I could tell, nothing was happening. You know, I would go into Dido and say, do you have anything to say? And I would say, uh, no. <laughs> He'd say, go deeper. Bring me Mu. Ring, 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 ring. And I was out over and over, week after week, day after day, for years. Now, I, like to, I like to calculate. I, I have an affinity for, for mathematical stuff. So I would sit during session, and I would, I would think, well, there's, there's about 720 koans. And so right now, Mo has taken me about seven years. And so at this rate, I figured out it's going to take me about 35,000 years to <laughs> complete my koan study. 
And, you know, after I realized that, I, I, I kind of gave up trying to keep track of it. <laughs> I mean, when I, I eventually was passed on it, but I, 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 you know, it was a little bit disappointing to me. I was like, that's it? I mean, it was, it was like, you know, how I experienced it, how I remember it. It's like, it's like, you know, you're looking for your glasses everywhere for hours and you can't find them. And then you realize, oh, they've been on my face the whole time. There's another, st- another story about, um, about Mo, about uh, Soen Nakagawa, Soen Roshi, who was Daito Roshi's first teacher before he started working with Maizumi. Uh, once uh, Soen, when he was still in Japan, was paid a visit by a, an American professor. And <laughs> it's funny. The, the Zen stories from this era, there's, these American professors show up a lot. They're kind of like one of these stock figures, like... Uh, <laughs> I think of them kind of like Ananda in the early you know, stories. Ananda was brilliant, and he was very devoted, but he just didn't get it for years and years and years. So he was sort of like the fall guy. <laughs> but so at one point, uh, someone invited this professor to tea, and they sat down. And the, tea, the uh, professor said, tell me, Roshi, how can I expedite my understanding of Mu? What is the most effective way to practice Mu so I can get self-realization? Someone said, what did Jesus say on the cross? The professor said, he said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Someone was silent. He didn't answer. He just kept pouring the tea. I, I don't think this was a casual response. He was directly pointing to the, the professor's question about Mo. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Uh, these are actually in the Gospel of Matthew. These are the, the last words of Christ. So obviously, you know, the last words of a spiritual teacher, you would think they're significant. The Buddha said his last words were, all, all, all compounded things are subject to impermanence. Practice diligently. These last words are they're kind of disturbing, uh, unsettling. You know, it's, they're, they're a koan, really, I think. Especially, uh, as I understand from the, from the outside, the, the part of the point of Christianity is that Christ is the, the Savior, so what's happening if at the culmination of all of this, he's beset by great doubt? He feels lost and abandoned. What's going on there? And, and I th- you know, these, these words are powerful. They, they have a power to unsettle to this day. I, was, I decided to go you know, poke around on, online and just see what, what people are, say about this. And... Uh, so I'm going to offer a few of those. So, so one person says, uh, I was talking to an atheist the other day, and he said that God doesn't know what it's like to lose a son because he knew all along that Jesus would rise in three days. So he only lost him for the weekend. <laughs> I thought that's a great question. Another person said, do we really know what this means? Is Jesus despairing on the cross? Or is he rather 
pointing to the praise and hope of the resurrection. You know, because I guess from this point of view, Christ knew that he was going to be resurrected. And so for that reason, we don't have to be too disturbed by this. It's like, this is a bit irreverent, but saying like, you know, Jesus basically has the cheat codes. Someone else said, every detail of this horrific abandonment declares the heinous character of our sins, with an exclamation mark. Have you, have you ever seen a child who gets upset or frustrated and then starts wailing on his little sister or little brother? Someone else says, the mystery of this separation is far too deep, even for the most mature believer, to fathom. Um, this is too much. I can't, I don't have the capacity to see into this. I quit. Someone else said, God did turn his back on Jesus judicially, but not relationally. What does that mean? <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to, to, make, to mock these responses. I, I can actually find myself in all of them. You know, in the, in the face of, of great difficulty, we tend to turn aside. We try to squirm away. And we have all manner of, of strategies that we use for that. Deflection, blame, hope, guilt, intellectualization, they're endless. And in fact, it's not that far. You know, just look at Zazen. How easy it is, something comes up and, you know, adjust, fidget, <coughs> fantasize, turn away. It's the uh, same thing. The most, uh, for me, the, the most uh, satisfying response that I that I found to this question was uh, uh, I found uh, some letters from uh, Mother Teresa to some of her spiritual advisors. And these, these came out a few years ago, and they were, they were quite shocking to people because it turned out that she had she struggled with this crisis of faith for, for most of her life. So just to give you one example, uh, she says, she wrote to her advisor, where is my faith? Even deep down, right in, there is nothing but emptiness and darkness. My God, how painful is this unknown pain. It pains without ceasing. I have no faith. But in the midst of this, she continued her work. Working uh, with the poor. And as I said, you know, I'm not Catholic or, or, or Christian, but this sounds to me like intimacy with the agony of Christ. When there is emptiness and darkness, there's just emptiness and darkness. When there is unknown pain, there is just unknown pain. When there is, my God, why have you abandoned me? The whole world in the ten directions is, my God, why have you abandoned me? What is the use of understanding?
to return to the story about um, Soen after the professor asked and so about Mu, and Soen said, what are the words of Christ? And was silent. After a while, the professor asked again. He said, I want to know my true nature. What is the most effective way to practice Mu? And Soen said again, tell me, what did Jesus say on the cross? And at this point, the professor was getting impatient. He said, he said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And someone said, no. And he said, well, what, what did he say? Someone said, my God, why have you abandoned me? In, in closing, to... Uh, Circle back to Dogen, this fascicle. This is again from One Bright Pearl. He says, Why should we worry about whether that which arises and passes is the bright pearl? Even if you do worry, that does not mean that you are not the bright pearl. It is not something outside of the bright pearl that causes thought and action. Therefore, stepping forward or stepping backward, your every step in the demon cave on the Black Mountain is one bright pearl. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Do you have physical challenges to visiting Zen Mountain Monastery or Fire Lotus Temple? The Diamond Net is a group of Mountains and Rivers Order students who are available to support your practice. We provide Dharma and other support to Sangha members facing life challenges such as illness or mobility issues. If you would like to visit the monastery or the Zen Center but need some physical help, someone from the Diamond Net can assist you. For information, email diamondnet at mro.org or visit our webpage at zmm.org and look under the Programs menu.